Welcome all to the Mandalorian podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial podcast for the Outer Rim Territories. My name is Matt, and joining me in the living waters beneath the minds of Mandalore is Pete. Hello there, Pete. What up, all my Mandos and Mandettes? The Mandalorian podcast by Fantastic Geek dons our helmets for Chapter 21, The Pirate. Pete, tomorrow we will be talking Picard, Episode 307, a.k.a. Season 3, Part 7, uh, in a week <laughs> that... Parts and chapters and bits and bobs. All I know is this, Pete, it was a good week for Star Trek news uh, with an official release date for Strange New Worlds, confirmation for Season 3, more Lower Decks on the way, and indeed, the confirmation of a Starfleet Academy live-action show to start filming in 2024, which means it'll only be out in two years. Yeah, and kind of a way to smoke screen some other things you noticed right before that yeah literally an hour before what i would say seems to be a lackluster starfleet academy announcement like to the point that when i first saw the screen caps of the announcement i was like this is clearly fake right no it's from the star trek account this is clearly or a for video the game. game i thought it was a video game uh, literally an hour before this announcement, The Hollywood Reporter had an article about how Paramount Global, which is the parent-parent company, company uh, had its credit downgraded due to, you know, uh, the financial people not being happy with specifically streaming information. So let me say this, Pete. If there is a Starfleet Academy show that comes out in two years, awesome, I'm there. If it is oriented towards people younger than me not a problem i will check it out maybe it'll skew younger like lower decks and i'll love it maybe it'll skew lower like lower like a prodigy and i'll say much respect not exactly for me or pete maybe it's like kelvin four which you know news on that in the last two years i don't know finance i don't know wall street stuff i am convinced that a lot of those announcements were made just to keep Wall Street at bay, despite the fact that Hollywood knew that Hollywood Paramount people really weren't actually working on that. So time will tell on this. Or uh, like Section 31. But Matt, I look forward to watching all those things on the streamer that ultimately winds up with Paramount Plus's uh, catalog. Pete, it's a strange future ahead. I know this, Pete. Um unofficially uh officially unofficially uh marvel's secret invasion will start on june 21st that's a date that i think you and others found on some versions of disney plus or something take me through that announcement yes it was briefly uh seen on the landing page for disney plus now scrubbed there has since matt been a trailer announcement for a trailer um, to appear tomorrow night uh, during Sunday night baseball on the Disney-owned uh, ESPN. And uh, we will podcast all that on Marvel Monday. So if indeed this Secret Invasion date holds, which I think, you know, indications are that would be the case, uh, that would probably mean Ahsoka in August or September. Um, regardless, Pete, Star Wars Celebration is next weekend, is that right? Yes. So I think certainly plenty of news coming there. 
Um, and of course, uh, Mandalorian was discussed at uh, Paley, at the Paley Center in Los Angeles. Wish they did more in New York, although we've only ever had fun with the, the New York stuff. But uh, so certainly great to see the show celebrated uh, at the Paley Center in Los Angeles. Yes, they showed the same episode we'll discuss now. Nothing new, although mentioned skeleton crew uh, brought up the eye popping uh, first appearance in live action of the character we'll talk about in the recap here. Lots of announcements coming next weekend. Expect the Ahsoka uh, date. We will also finally get confirmation of that entire regular cast. Uh, still don't officially know who Mary Elizabeth Winstead's playing, but I, Hera, we do. Well, Pete, for now, let's hit the hunt. Another ship lands at Navarro, and the partial statue of IG-11 guards the square as High Magistrate Grief Karga meets with engineers in his office, making plans to expand the independent trade anchor even further when screams interrupt them. He goes to his balcony and sees the shadow of Pirate King Gorian Shard's ship arrive. His droid asks if he should begin negotiations, but Grief doesn't want to set a bad precedent by buying them off. He instructs his droid to get the citizens to safety and dismisses the engineers as he answers a hollow hail from Shard, who can't believe the guild master of the Navarro hunters has become pampered nobleman. Uh, Pete, I couldn't help but note that here Grief Karga is earlier in the scene kind of you know being very successful in this extra governmental business planning area you know it's almost (laughs) like Disney thinks such things can be a benefit and not a negative Uh, regardless though Gorian Shard suggesting it's retribution time or at least nominally suggesting he's there because one of his uh, one of his pirates was shot by Grief Karga last time indeed Pete it's actually just a power grab here an episode that I think has some metaphor in real world uh, and indeed outside uh, Florida, but we'll discuss that in due course. Um, Karga floats that Navarro is under the protection of the New Republic, but is it though? Not really. That's not what the maps say. And even if it's true, the nascent government can hardly even protect mid-rim worlds, let alone this you know, outer rim, nay, independent one. So surrender or else... Uh, and Shard indeed shares the Urels quickly as he starts to fire on people, uh, but not before Grief Karga preps his astromech, um, kind of leaning towards it in a way very evocative of uh, Princess Leia in A New Hope. Uh, we see townspeople running from the threat in the sky. Maybe a little note here. Uh, I would have liked a little bit more terror from the townsfolk. I think they were given direction like, look at a spot up there. So kind of was like, run, 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 look, run, 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 look. Uh, so not true terror, but maybe, Pete, that's an in-universe, uh, the in-universe explanation is that they have an inherent trust of High Magistrate Grief Karga. Who chooses not to go to the escape pod and is going to stick it out with his people as they flee into the lava flats. 
the title card here for chapter 21 the pirate giving way to psychedelic rock music playing on the welcoming shores of adelphi where a y-wing fighter lands uh, at a new republic base and pilots play space pool and hydrate inside a bar where dave filoni deborah chow and rick famuyua's pilot characters relax alongside captain carson teva who receives a message from the snivian bartender who looks like snaggletooth uh, he uses her viewer to watch Grief's recording, requesting a patrol before Navarro is turned into a pirate base. And Carabast, it's Zeb! Great to see Zeb in live action, or, you know, okay, fine, it's live action approximating computer animation and so forth. But great to see Zeb here. Just a wonderful, wonderful moment, this character from Star Wars Rebels. Um, but Zeb, you know, oh, it's too bad. Having overheard that message, I guess it's just all over for Navarro. No reason to have a new hope, etc. Um, particularly since Coruscant hasn't been answering us for weeks. What can you do? Shrug, shrug. Well, Carson Teva is indeed uh, going to head to Coruscant to take the case there immediately. Uh, and that he does. We see yet another return to Coruscant here. Pete, I'm glad we invested time getting to know the place this season um because probably it's useful for uh certainly newer viewers let alone just you know we keep returning to the setting uh and he he walks in to see uh, uh to see tuttle um even as elia kane looks on the music telling us there's perhaps some trouble afoot uh and ultimately teva pushes past the the secretary and uh, shares his plea. He's looking for authorization and backup to push those pirates out. Navarro, Navarro, huh, doesn't really sound familiar. Uh, and Tuttle does agree that the message is concerning. Pete, I think maybe he's about ready to push the old thumbs up there, but uh, knock, knock, who's there? It's Elia Kane. Colonel Tuttle uh, is a ladies' man. Matt, and he gives Kane his ear. She actually headed to the commissary and looking to score more points for the old uh, amnesty program, bringing in former Imperials to the New Republic. And the subtext of continued bureaucracy and red tape you know, we first meet Tuttle, he's telling the astromech droid, don't you dare put more of that, you know, work in trays on that part of my desk where I'm actually working. Nope, leaves it there anyway and dismisses that droid as he deals with Teva's request. But again, that we know that Kane is up to no good and teva notices here the amnesty program pin okay the competing uh forces really and the divergent ideas that oh well you're not in the new republic so you don't really get the protection of the new republic but wait teva says we can't leave people defenseless and of course tuttle acknowledges that they won't, but they have a backlog of requests from member worlds. 
do they even have the resources? Matt, you've pointed out how government in Star Wars is always portrayed as ineffective. And here, the breadcrumbs are very clear into how both the Empire can still, in a remnant form, exist. Because Luke Skywalker can't do it all for everybody. Okay? And the First Order rises. I would add to that, Pete, the notion here that Navarro has not joined as a member world, I dare say, you know, for as much as Star Wars is not meant to reflect any specific time nor place, uh, shades here of, you know, had Ukraine pursued NATO membership five, six, seven years ago, um, perhaps the situation would be different now. Conversely, Ukraine not particularly... not. Uh, fast-tracked into NATO, given the current uh, invasion by Russia and so forth. Just the point being, um, again, I think I think that this scene here is a bit informed by that. And if we're going to continue that, uh, I think, dare say, fight of good and evil there, the fact that Kane is the one pumping the brakes versus, uh, say, well, nonetheless, we'll find a way to aid these poor people, even though they're not part of, uh, they're not a part of NATO, uh, even though, uh, Navarro is not a part of uh, of the New Republic. Kane kind of pumping the brakes here. For as much as the actress is charismatic and the character kind of uh, deliciously mysterious, I think she's only applying the the, the villain uh, break here and not kind of out of a real concern about government efficiency and and things of that sort. But at the same time, strangely sympathetic that. Teva brings up, oh, well, she's a former Imperial, and that certainly sounds like that type of thinking. Tuttle, because he's a ladies' man, uh, saying that Teva's out of line, okay? Oh, but hey, she's heard that before. In her experience, it often takes a new perspective before one sees the light side but Teva points out that she was captured and she says she was liberated. Tuttle thanks him for bringing this to their attention and they'll see if they can allocate some additional assets before apologizing. They can't do more. And Teva reasserts here. There's something dangerous going on. These events are not a coincidence. Imperials, pirates, the timing that we can't help out and that by the time they choose to act, it's going to be too late. We cut back to the flats outside our beloved mud city uh, with Moses Karga, perhaps. I know it's not really his name. I'm making an illusion. Uh, Moses Karga leading his people as they wander in the, 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 the desert of sorts here. They see that the city is occupied. The people feel restless Karga gives a rousing speech highlighting that help is on the way and we can trust in the New Republic, which of course is sadly ironic to us given that uh, we know that direct help is not on its way. And they're not a member world. Teva's X-Wing streaks down to Rockrock World where his scanner pings and he sees Bo-Katan's ship. He lands and his droid R7 warbles when there is no one outside the Mandalorian covert cave, he 
walks up announcing himself as an Adelphi ranger where a pair of Mandalorians have him in their sights. And Paz Vizsla tells the blue boy to clear out because the New Republic isn't welcome. He apologizes for dropping in unannounced, but says if he'd given warning, they would have left before he arrived. Din Djarin asks how he found their secret location, and Teva tells them someone he served with in the rebellion in their ranks revealed them, and he thanks Snitch R5D4 for his service. I guess Pete R5 had a good motivator that day. Uh, Paz Vizsla wonders if perhaps they should just kill Carson Teva and keep the covert secret and safe. Um, which, look, I think that within the, if we suspend disbelief for a moment, um, we can, uh, suspect that that's not going to be the case. However, within the fiction of it all, it, it does seem awfully tempting. Uh, but it's Mando who was willing to cut Teva a break, much as Teva cut Mando a break. Um, and ultimately the message is shared from Carson Teva to, uh, Din Djarin, Navarro, pirates, no backup from Coruscant, you owe this man, and so forth. Uh, the Empire is growing again, and perhaps the pirates are connected to that. Um, so Mando has message received, and as Teva gets ready to leave, he notes that uh, they probably won't believe him, and they're probably going to clear it anyway, but he will keep this location a secret, and if that, he takes off, Pete. If only one day we could have a show that's Got more of Carson Teva, some sort of Rangers of the New Republic. I'd watch that show in a heartbeat. Bo asks Din what he's thinking, and he has to help, which she says he can't do alone. In the cave, he holds the armorer's hammer and recaps how they rescued him from grief. That's G-R-E-E-F on Navarro. But he... Grief Karga, that is, risked his life to save Din's and Grogu's. He petitions an intervention to rescue the planet before it's too late. He says he's in no position to ask any more of the covert, but the enemy that attacked them was Imperial, not Grief's bounty hunters. And the High Magistrate has offered din a tract of land on the independent world perhaps it's time to live in the light again so their culture can flourish he hands the hammer back to the armorer and she asks if anyone else wants to speak paz does and dramatically recaps fighting grief to save din and seeing their people fall at the hands of imperials to save grogu why should they lay their lives down yet again? Because they are Mandalorians. A really great kind of down-to-up speech. Really, really well-constructed and so forth. Uh, Paz Vizsla notes that Din Djarin has stepped up to help uh, save uh, Paz Vizsla's son. Uh, Bo-Katan similarly has proved herself when others in the tribe were prepared to give up and all that. Uh, we help ultimately because it is right. Uh, so again, Pete, just look, it's a delightful kind of idea to reflect on. What is Elia Kane's future, good or bad? You know, this speech here is about 
helping even though it's not your fight uh, helping because it is the right thing to do um, we move a bit forward in time where Bo-Katan is prepping the group for use uh, in her uh, fighter transport and that's when I was like oh I get it that's why it's bigger than a fighter but not like a full-on like Lambda class shuttle because it's a fighter transport okay um, they're going to use that as a, uh, a base of operations, as a dropship as well. The N1 will provide cover. Cut to a montage while they're in hyperspace of Bo-Katan. Essentially, Pete pre-vising the battle. Um, and uh, it's it, It's noted if they win, they will be heroes on this place uh, at which they once hid in the sewers. They will be, you know, again, heroes out in the open allowing them to resettle should they be able to push off of the pirates cumulus class corsair with the comric class fighter transport navarro smolders as pirates plunder and an astromech struggles shards men terrorize the waiter and gulp grog in the school shooting at a kawakian monkey lizard uh, when they see Din ship attack shards, they launch their fighters, and Vane tells Din it was a bold move to return. Grief watches and thanks Din, telling him he's decided to take him up on that land. Grief tells him to be careful against the long odds, which Din likes as he leads two fighters to collide and shards ship away so Bo can drop the Mandalorians who jetpack down. The Anzellans tell everybody to come and look as the Mandalor Mandalorians clear the streets. Din leads the fighters away as Bo attacks Shard, taking out an engine, and he calls for his fighters to return. May I point out that the general uh, geography of this uh, this attack sequence here is made possible by the Bo-Katan uh, debrief in the prior scene. This is a classic storytelling tool. You know, think Ocean's Eleven and let's practice the break-in so that you, the audience, can understand what's happening and when differences happen and so on and so forth. So the fact that we have been, we, the audience, have been prepped on ships attack ship one ship drops people in to have the ground game, ground game continuing while ships fly and all and all of that. You know, it's 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 made clear because they've literally pre-visualized it for us. In the square, the monkey lizards alert the Mandalorians to an ambush and are pinned down. When Paz arrives, the pirates mount a cannon in Grief's balcony to stymie their advance. As the fighters engage Bo, Din, takes more out, and Shard's ship loses another engine, and shields are failing. And then the armorer comes through to clear out Grief's office, allowing the other Mandalorians to move, and the pirates are pinned between them and the locals. Uh... It's a wonderful moment as the pirates are pushed out those gates there, and and it's it's not just the you know attack attack forces of the Mandalorians, but also the the common uh, city folk that uh, get the victory as well. Pete, look, I want all love and peace 
and Star Trek style, you know, justice and reflection and rehabilitation. Would I have hated it in this moment if maybe the townspeople opened fire on the evil, evil pirates? <laughs> um, I, I would have been okay with that. I, I think that would have been in line perhaps with Star Wars and Outer Rim and Han shot first and all that. But Pete, we get, we get civilization here in a place that once used to be so uncivilized. Uh, in the air, there's only one snub fighter left. Wait a minute, that's Vane, and Vane is leaving, uh, perhaps to show up later in the season, perhaps uh, in another show, who knows. Uh, there's only one engine left. Are you clear on the countdown, Pete? There were three <laughs> engines, then two engines. Now there's one left, uh, and the the ship is going to attack the town. Mando and Bo-Katan focus on that engine. Uh, indeed, attacking it from the 12 o'clock and 6 o'clock position. I'm no air warfare guy. Maybe not attacking straight at each other um, would have been safer. However, in this story, in this moment, it's no big deal. That engine is uh, quickly dispensed with, and the pirate ship goes down um, beyond the hills. Pete, the effects in this show are only ever great, but I would like, to, well, not even but, and I would like to propose that to have the ship crash behind a hill also means you need to, there's less to animate there that you can just do the explosion. And maybe sometimes, you know, it's it's the special effects that you don't see are the ones that uh, are successful because I don't know how a big giant ship like that is supposed to break up. How about it goes behind a hill and there's uh, red explosions and victory. And there's no collateral damage for the town. And it's also not a definitive and for anybody or anything in that other than it's out of play for right now later grief thanks the mandalorian liberators putting aside the past and the high magistrate cedes all land from the western flats to jeremy bullock canyon to them pete i was particularly touched that uh, the original Boba Fett actor, Jeremy Bullock, you know, now has his name imprinted in Star Wars lore for Bullock Canyon here. I know Bullock was somebody who obviously not, you know, not super famous, um, just had those appearances as Boba Fett. And then I think what played a pilot in episode one. And that was even more like yeah, that's... In, uh, episode three, episode three. And that was more as like, look, that's the Boba Fett guy, nerds. Um, he also was somebody, you know, who would get get a table at a convention and you can get your pictures taken with Jeremy Bullock and so forth. And just a really, you know, obviously has since passed on in the last couple of years, but uh, wonderful to have his name forever etched officially in Star Wars canon. Paz tells Bo the armor wishes to speak with her, leading her through the sewers to the old Covert's Forge. The armorer had been to the great forge on Mandalore, which Bo remembers. The armorer remembers the large, ornate forge rang with the music of 100 hammers and tells Bo to remove her helmet. She hesitates, but ultimately does what she's asked, respecting the armorer's station. And she tells her all Mandalorians must walk the way together, bringing up the mythosaur Bo Staw as a sign that the next age is upon them, and she, Bo, will reunite them 
as the one who has walked both worlds. Outside, the Mandalorians are surprised to see Bo without her helmet, and the armorer tells them she is leaving to bring others back. Paz points out that she shows her face, but the armorer tells them she walks both worlds and that it is time to retake Mandalore. And you know it's a heroic moment. Uh, unlike some episodes this season where it's been like, is Bo-Katan, you know, betwixt good and evil? Here we have the slow push in to Bo-Katan, wind in her hair, hero shot. Then Pete, a an epilogue of sorts, or certainly a, a prologue for future stories. We cut to Teva all by himself in his X-Wing, finding an abandoned Lambda-class shuttle. No, not abandoned, ambushed. Uh, Love the little detail that the uh, the astromech periscope now detaches and can be a can be a drone essentially. Um, the, the the info is sent back to HQ real time uh, as they scan finding bodies there. Uh, it's uh, inferred that this shuttle uh, was Moff Gideon's shuttle. This had left the exact same time. Wait, of the wait, what is this classified? There's more there's classified information here. Uh, but this was the shuttle taking Moff Gideon to trial. Um, Moff Gideon's body is not here. We can further infer that those rumors are true. He never made it to trial. That means Moff Gideon is missing, and that is a secret. But wait, what's that in the wall? Is it Beskar? Was he freed by Mandalorians? Let's chase down some theories. So Matt, Paley Center in Los Angeles last night. Nothing new. We are literally down to three shots from all the promotional material we have not yet seen for three episodes left this season two of which are in the same scene and the other is an external ship shot so we have so much to see with next to no indication of what that will be and that's super exciting. I know from the trailers, I think two of the shots you're referring to are the droid bar, which it'll be interesting. Is that a major set piece mo- moment or is that, you know, is that something that we just go in and out of for one scene? Uh, so again, can we infer that that's like, oh, and then they will go to the freed droid alliance and now it will be the, you know, is it some major story point or again, it's just going to be a cool setting there. Certainly the notion of, I guess we can assume, well, regarding the best scar for for the, the Moff Gideon job here, two thoughts come to mind. First is, there could be an evil sect of Mandalorians who have been hired to do this job or who are pro-Gideon, pro-Empire, whatever it might be. Also, since, you know, Beskar is the Mandalorian uh, people's medal of choice, it could be a frame job as well. Mm-hmm. Um, do I think they're going to do a frame arc in the next three episodes? Maybe not, but I wouldn't rule it out. Is he trying to sow discord so the Mandalorians can't reunite? But let's also consider the only other Mandalorians 
we've seen in live action, obviously, Boba Fett. Okay. A lot of rumors remain that he's going to show up. Makes sense. I think we'd all be there for that. I think he has some muscle to bring. Okay. Uh, then, of course, we have the Mandalorians that Bo-Katan was running around with. Okay. Cosca Reeves, Axe Woves, Night Owls. All right. Who we were told earlier this season melted away when she came back with Imperial ships and no Darksaber for uh, her to swing around in front of them and do whatever she wanted. So they went mercenary. The notion that Moff Gideon, who glassed their homeworld, could give them money and they would do what they're paid to do creates ridiculously delicious conflict moving forward. You're absolutely right. I mean, you get all the culture versus uh, money stuff. You get all the group versus self, selflessness, selfishness, all of that. I think that is paving a really palatable path for the next three episodes. Add to it, you know, if we're then on a collision course with Moff Gideon at some point, um, I think Elia Kane, a a likely um, returning presence in some capacity in the next three episodes or, or some of the next three episodes, which means Dr. Pershing is not far away, which means Pete, oh man, it's another season of the Mandalorian where, you know, disparate threads in the first half um, are actually weaving a larger uh, picture here, weaving a larger basket, but they're weaving something. Um, and it all kind of is, is coming together at the climax of the season, the last episode of the season. John Favreau has said that he needed to figure out, the fourth season to finish writing the third season. So clearly there will be story threads carried forward. Just want to touch back on, you know, the idea of mercenaries. Okay. Which we forever associated Mandalorians with. So that tracks. And then the arc that we've already been on with, the OG with Boba Fett, Matt, Mandalorian, mercenary, turned, uh, you know, legit protector who can swoop in here, okay, and join Bo-Katan and the rest of the Mandalorians to retake Mandalore and continue that arc. Could be, or, and I know we did not get a great look at the Beskar shard in the wall there. Maybe the next time we see Boba Fett, oh, hey, that helmet looks a little dinged up. Even missing a piece there, missing a shard. Um, I'm not saying I want to make Boba Fett permanently a villain again, but, you know, there could be some sort of enemy of my enemy or I was hired to do it or, or some sort of thing there that could be now does, does not track. He's, he has said this not risking his life anymore for idiots. And there's no way to Mora Morrison Boba Fett thinks that Moff Gideon is on the right side of anything and does not need his credits. 
Well, but the, maybe maybe there's a larger commentary here. Maybe Boba Fett gets fed some fake news, and he believes he's freeing, uh, you know, f- freeing a hero from a from an increasingly, um, you know, uh, bumbling New Republic government and so forth. Again, I think e- it's an easier story to tell with only three episodes to go and with plenty of things to address. It's easier to just have Boba Fett show up on the side of the good and the right. Uh, I just want to, uh, Pete, I want to give the story options here. Now that we have crossed Zeb off our list, of course, we had gotten Ahsoka in season two of The Mandalorian. Um, Chopper is briefly visible in Rogue One. He was the first of the Star Wars Rebels to uh, appear in live action. Is Sabine as a Mandalorian next. That certainly would be welcome. And I know I've said this a number of times this season, but again, looking back at season two, where, you know, kind of, if you didn't know the larger, you know, uh, Hollywood news situation going on, you wouldn't think that season two of the Mandalorian was setting up three spinoff shows, but it was two of which have come to fruition. Um, Similarly here, to sit and go, oh, Zeb, that's a cool alien guy. Oh, you don't know? He was in animation? Oh, that's cool for people who appreciate it. Um, that's one way to look at it. Another way is, no, we're slowly counting down to uh, to the season of Ahsoka, widely thought to be, you know, uh, kind of uh, narratively the next season of Star Wars Rebels and all of that. Um, so it would make sense to be adding these characters. So if there is... Yeah, I don't. I, I don't know if we should anticipate. I don't know if we should anticipate at all Zeb showing up in Ahsoka along with some of the other Rebels characters. But there's no reason to think not. And um, even if it is just at a start point and end point, that sort of thing. Sabine Wren was cast back in November of 2021. Matt, uh, actress Natasha Liu Bordizzo playing her. Uh, we have seen in uh, stills and in the leaked footage from a very, very brief Ahsoka trailer. They were days into filming uh, when last year's Star Wars celebration happened. Uh, she was the most prominently other than, um, of course, uh, Ahsoka and Rosario Dawson, as I mentioned before. Uh, we still don't know who Mary Elizabeth Winstead is playing, although the assumption uh, is that she is Hera. Um, it's just not confirmed at this point. Anybody's going to tell you differently. It's not. We know who is playing Ezra. Okay. My mind just wobbled, Matt. I was worried we'd never get Zeb. That, like, oh, it's just too much to take such a cartoonish character and again it's original art this was what you know ralph Macquarie drew uh chewbacca to look like that's where it all comes back from that design um and you had to figure too like all right if they're gonna leave anybody out of the rebels crew you're not gonna leave out the droid because we can do that oh yeah we're gonna not have the cartoonish looking character because he was off on another adventure um but they swung so big here they nailed it 
Um, I think we've got to see Sabine Wren at the end, by the end of this season to launch us into Ahsoka. When any of these properties, let alone a Disney property, when they're at their best, fan service doesn't feel like fan service. It just feels like the story. And I think that's what we see here. Um, I don't think that anybody is going as nuts as they were, let's say, with the the Grand Inquisitor and Kenobi versus his animated form. Um, and honestly, that was probably just useless nitpicking last summer. But, um, like, you know, why not? Is it extra expense and thought and so forth to have this computer-generated character who otherwise they're at a bar of, you know, human people and human people wearing masks? Um, sure it is, but, you know, you go through the process. If you want to go through the process one and done, so be it. If you want to go through the process and be like, and now we have a 38 terabyte uh, digital model for him to use anytime we want because we have plans for him in three of the six episodes of Ahsoka or whatever that looks like, you know, then so be it. Pete, changing subjects here, okay? Some chatter online, probably from middle-aged heterosexual men like you and I, although you and I have not had this discussion, people saying, oh man, um, Bo-Katan and the Armorer, must be something going on there, right? Pete, let me offer another thought here. Uh, can two powerful, attractive women be in the same space and it not become that? Can't they just be helping each other in their path to advancing each other in the world? Absolutely. And you know what? If it's a little bit of both, who the hell cares? Uh, I do appreciate that this episode in so many ways really is an end point to other arcs that we have seen um wait, again wait, matt i saw a vlog of a of a youtube say that uh mandalorian season three is rudderless and no one will watch it even though the ratings are a month behind um you know again this is an episode where things like the fun ragnar you know save ragnar from dinosaur bird you know that that was wonderful on its own, and it pays off here as a place where Mando and Bo-Katan both have proven themselves to the covert, um, and proven themselves to Paz Vizsla, you know, whose whose conflict with Mando goes back to the earliest uh, appearances of Paz Vizsla and so forth. Um, similarly, you know, it's almost like the armor. I feel like there was a deleted line from the armorer to Bo-Katan saying, those fantastic geek boys don't know the exact nature of our religion and whether, uh, you know, we believe the mythosaur to be real or myth, you know, then we get the line, you know, that it was even amongst someone of the armorer's station and faith, it was believed to be, uh, believed to have never been real and believed to have been an illustrative story and all of that. And again, I just marvel you know, for as much as I've said, look for threads to come together towards the end. You know, here we are at, you know, the five-eighths point, which is not necessarily a, a traditional point of, uh, well, I guess that, what's that? that th that's three quarters. That's how math works. But here we are at a point where we really can start to have some perspective in terms of all these pieces in what ultimately is a little story. I don't mean little in scope. I just mean it's eight. 45-minute offerings a year, and Favreau and his mini writing room, which Pete, the Writers Guild, tells us mini writing rooms are bad and need to be done away with in the next contract. This little writing room 
coming up with stories that are just incredibly compact and it's something that I marvel at season after season because you can get through last week's episode flying jetpack people battle dino bird and this week pirates get shot at pirates in a ship and little ships and pirates with you know rifles on the ground and good guys with rifles on the ground you know it's as simple as that but it also is the payoff of all these prior things and set up for the future and emotional through lines even as you know machine gun guy laser machine guns down lizard pirates the tiered tv and universal approach here that you know the bureaucratic slouch toward the first order that the new republic is on that's irreversible that that's not going to change we're only going to watch it get worse no wonder an Aliyah Kane can be there and yay they did the right thing and they forgave her and of course she's doing the wrong thing and then you know with Vane and the reference of a larger pirate nation menacing the mid-rim that they can't even keep up with and that he's one of the named pirates that gets away so of course that'll set up skeleton crew which also works within this story it was mentioned last night at the the paley center it's going to be interesting to see if the mention of the adelphi rangers in some way either reinvigorates that canceled idea of the rangers of the new republic or just that all right we lost this but we'll still make reference to it and maybe we can resuscitate it down the road you know it's interesting i've i've been thinking you know i've been thinking how i within the mcu i think there's a little bit of a um a slight deflating scenario going on and i'll save the pontification for that at a point where we're more squarely talking about marvel but i was all you know back back way back when ahsoka show rangers of the new republic i don't think they mentioned skeleton crew then but kind of the notion of where all this is headed eventually some sort of star avengers you know is it a movie is it the culminating miniseries is it a, whatever that looks like my point is this pete it's increasingly high stakes i know that we don't have you know specific details on the ahsoka series but it's emotional high stakes and if if thrawn is indeed involved then not only is that just a cool character and people can appreciate him for being so deliciously evil but what connection is that to the the setup of the first order and things of that sort is there a is there a future for rangers of the new republic if that show is going to be the weekly space cop thing versus like you know this season on the mandalorian you know religion comes together and disparate tribes brought together and pirates defeated and peace brought yet there is still a further threat out there um maybe a rangers show maybe the time has passed maybe not uh i don't know um i i do know this pete it's interesting uh it's interesting to see the armorer as this religious figure within this more conservative covert uh finding a newer interpretation of how one can be uh you know on, on the path of the way and so forth it will be interesting to see if there is similar 
whether you want to call it religious flexibility, whether you want to call it interpretation. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how that is explored, if only because Favreau, you know, someone of Jewish faith, and I think to a certain degree we're seeing him having a, a, a very kind of arm's length, uh, maybe not reflection of his own religious views, but I think that he, he has somebody who has interacted with different religious views. I think we're seeing some of that discussion kind of in the background of this story here. Having Bo-Katan being told to take her helmet off and you're like, the character, wait a minute, is this a setup? Are you then going to shame me and kick me out? We don't fully understand, at least in the moment, where the armorer stands on it because it's the least predictable path. These people, ostensibly, are zealots. You do the thing, you're in the group. You don't do the thing, you're out of it. We've seen that happen with Din Djarin, who mm, you can question him needing to get back in their good graces. Okay. But the it is a little wishy-washy, this idea of we'll all walk it together. But Matt, what does it do? It also offers up a path for other Mandalorians of this covert ultimately removing their helmet because, hey, we're all Mandalorians here. Which ties into a theory that I read about on Screen Rant because of a voicemail uh, from Jackie Wolf that we'll hear in a little bit, which basically is this, Pete. Uh, as we know, John Favreau has voiced Paz Vizsla in seasons one and two, and uh, there was a stunt performer, an MMA fighter, who's been the you know the onset person and so forth. This season, Paz Vizsla is voiced by that performer, who I must admit I don't have his name in front of me at the moment, but I'm going to see if I can dig it up as we chat here. Um, the, the the point being, uh, Screen Rant proposes that now that they're having the guy who does the body also do the voice might point to like needing to see the face behind the voice, which is a right. bit of theory work that I really can't argue with that. Uh, uh, Tate Fletcher is his name, by the way. Um, I feel like that's a really, really great theory that again, like why for John forever to sit in a booth and sit and go, I now trust this man. Okay, great. Cut action or, you know, cut, go send that to the thing. Like it's easy enough for him to record this. Um, it's a great idea that we might be seeing his face, his Paz Vizzle's face. And again, be prepared for it not to be John Favreau when that helmet comes off. We've also never seen Emily swallow uh, without the helmet on. And I think that makes a lot of sense at this point and the drama that could be obviously associated with that. This plan to retake Mandalore should they reunite uh, with other Mandalorians. This has to be a longer range plan than in just three episodes. And even if these next three should somehow get them back to Mandalore, it, it's not going to be with the full idea that, yes, everybody's back here now. All our problems are solved. Yeah, Mandalore is definitely not move-in ready. Um, and again, I think the longer notion of uh, kind of resting a homeworld from from uh, 
you know, from its damage and creating a place that's both uh, an ancestral home and new to you, new to all Mandalorians and so forth, uh, I think certainly in line with the thrust of this season. Is Pirate King Gorian Shard off the board? I think as definitively as definitively as they want him to be. I think that was a really big explosion. There he is at the at the bridge and so forth. Um it's an int- he's an interesting character in that I kept I kept going back and forth in this episode. Is this a suit because the mouth doesn't look great uh or is this computer generated because it looks just so kind of complex and so forth i had even wondered at certain points like are they cutting to him quickly to just maximize the good whether it's the good suit or the good uh, computer image and, and and you know not let you see too much of the bad all just that's a long way of saying i think he's a really interesting one-dimensional character i don't think that this is a character that we're necessarily looking for a ton of nuance or we're looking for a redemption arc um or things of that sort so I'd say for, for as definitively as you can be now, he's gone out in a blaze of glory, never to be seen again. Is Moff Gideon in league with other Mandalorians? I think in league suggests a 50-50 situation. Um, I would much rather have a story where maybe they didn't know it was Moff Gideon until they finally pulled the prisoner out of the out of the shuttle and said wait it's him what should we do well he's our meal ticket if we don't if we don't get him to alpha base uh then we don't get paid and our families starve and things of that sort um so if, if nothing else such a tale of tragedy could be uh you know underline the need for the mandalorian community helping one another and so forth um but i don't think we're going to see like the evil mandalorians who wear all black suits why the classified nature around Gideon? I mean, we have no idea other than tracking off screen of how Teva found this crippled shuttle. Uh, why is this a secret? This is a secret because this new Republic government does not work and is not transparent. And the basic notions of functioning democracy and transparency in government and so forth i know that's not a sexy story answer but there it is the new republic is so shaky six years in that to have you know to have had a major goof to have had a major intelligence failure to have had this major um you know can can one say figurehead of the empire to have, to have lost him on the way to justice with a capital J makes the New Republic look weak, and they are more concerned about the perception of weakness and strength than the truth of governmental transparency um, and, and things of that sort. And you know, so again, as you said earlier, Pete, there is a finite endpoint to this, to the success of the New Republic, and we cannot stop the return of the First Order in 25 years' time and so forth. That's a fixed point in in the future of Star Wars from the perspective of the what's now called the New Republic portion of the timeline. Um, we know that this government is not working, and they're making it worse, I would argue, by not owning up their mistakes. Gideon has to be a student of history. He was... Uh, 
ISB. He he knows what has happened to Mandalore. He's held the dark saber. He's got to know that Darth Maul fractured them and has to be part of this plan, right? Yes, and now that's an interesting detail that you've that you've uh, brought back to the forefront. I wonder if the story makes some sort of um, business with the fact that that uh, Moff Gideon was a wielder of the dark saber. You know, maybe that's where some of that loyalty comes from. I don't know. I mean, does he get <laughs> for as much as he, you know, helped participate in the near genocide of a people and destroyed their homeworld to glass? Are there some Mandalorians out there that are like? But he's so cool and he's so strong because he's a strong man who held the Darksaber. I will vote for him even though it's not in the interests of me and my people. Um, again, Donate I now to the Gideon Defense Fund? <laughs> indeed. I mean, I, I, I know clearly I'm making at some real-world hints here. And I want to, on the flip side, say that is more the forte of Star Trek than Star Wars. But there's also Jon Favreau and... Uh, you know, small handful of people that are writing this that, you know, I'm not here to say, John Favreau, how dare you look at a news website and then maybe go write Mandalorian for the rest of the day. The the two shall never cross. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Like if he's being inspired by the notion of, you know, uh, the notion of such things and he knows it's not the place of Star Wars to be like, here's, you know, a very thinly layered interpretation of modern events. Um, nonetheless, Star Wars can cloak it in the things that make Star Wars Star Wars and still have that discussion. Not uh, apparent uh, in the attack on the shuttle, Matt. We see the white gloves because they can show up in a dark environment of New Republic uh, officers, security, whatever you want to term them, uh, but not the familiar outfit of one Cara Dune. <laughs> listen, I'm telling you, Pete, you keep, you keep poking this situation with a stick and I keep saying, listen, <laughs> is there the possibility at some point in the future? I just said she's alive. Well, no, but yeah, well, but, but you're also proposing that this, this could have been a place where they could have definitively killed her. It um, could have been. You, you also don't need to see a body for somebody to be dead. Correct. <laughs> That's true as well. I I think that I think it's going to be. I'll just pick a number. It is going to be five years minimum before before there's a, before any there's any more story update to the character other than hey you people at home you didn't hear about the thing and the stuff yeah she's now off with whatever the story said she's off with which honestly I've forgotten although it was only five weeks ago I think um, I think I think that's the last we're going to hear from her f- until closer to 2030 or she floated really far away from this shuttle that has a hole in it. uh pete i encourage you to go write that story for uh pete's star wars blog.com all right extend that antenna we start, as we always do, Pete, with Twitter, where the options were as follows. One shark, shark bait, 2.9% for this episode. One pirate flag, tis a dinghy, 
got 2.9%. Two pirate flags, Good Voyage B, got 23.5%. And then three pirate flags, Huzzah, got 70.6%. By the way, Pete, it appears that maybe now Twitter takes more characters for emoji than it used to in what is probably the slow decay of this website. Also, also, just want to alert listeners to the possibility like how about this way there's rumors that twitter polls might disappear um and we are preparing in fact we put a little test balloon out there we're preparing to do polls as free to all posts on our patreon so we love it when you support us even if you're like i can't i don't whatever um you could prepare i would say folks prepare for the possibility of us posting a patreon link each week if you vote in the twitter polls uh, posting a link on Twitter, on the Facebook, whatever it might be, to say, come to our Patreon for a free place where we're not going to say, while you're here, give us money. Although you always could. Uh, but we're just going to say, this is where we're running our poll like we always used to. So kind of be prepared for that. But anyhow, Pete, uh, 70, almost 71% of people giving this the top vote here for Chapter 20, The Pirate. Yeah. And uh, just to echo what's... Uh, uh, Matt is saying here about the Twitter poll, you know, the ability to get everybody's input. And, you know, we have lost a lot of people uh, from Twitter that, you know, yeah, we're seeing on Facebook and we see in some of the other spots. But it's very clear that the lifeblood of podcasting is via social media. Uh, so, you know, we'll be out there. Um and we will make it possible for those who aren't on Twitter uh, to get their word in as well. I might even, Pete, and this is not a discussion that we've had in real life, uh, or at least prior to this. I guess this is real life. Anyhow, I might, next week's polls for Mando and Picard, I might mirror on the Patreon. Again, if you're sitting here going, oh my goodness, guys, stop hitting me up for the Patreon for money and so forth. Th- this discussion really is just to keep... To, to keep polls going and to keep discussions going and things like that as, as the social media landscape changes. Pete, let's hear some replies on Twitter for as long as it exists. So let's start with Ben Larson at Larson Ben, who says, I can see now why John Favreau said they needed to write out season four to figure out everything for this season. There's a lot going on here and it feels like more than can be wrapped up in three more episodes. Ben goes on to say Zeb looked great and was amazing to see him. And, and I think I have a finale cameo prediction. A recast Cara Dune. We may not get the Rangers of the New Republic show, but it seemed like they had plans for the character, and I would hate to see them derail, uh, derailed by actress idiocy. Next, Pete, we hear from Spider-Ham Lincoln at TessLC139. This episode was absolutely zebulous. Overall, I enjoyed the alternating plots and the developing mystery of the missing moth. Let's see the entire mythosaur before season's end, but who will ride it? And with Gorian Shard's death, is a Hondo appearance near? Uh, that, of course, the a similar kind of pirate guy from uh, from animation. Uh, Coach Pritch replies, Coach underscore Pritch, or Pritchard, give us Hondo, fantastic episode again. Tired of haters and complainers moving close to Starvenger, closer to Starvengers after seeing Zeb. Sad to see Teva fighting the Tim Meadow-led bureaucracy and uh, Elia Kane in deep. The best car at the end, which clan? Sabine Wren. Uh, so I think all all in the air there. Uh, Noel Gardner at Noel Camille says, Space Pirates, yes. Whoever decided to make the first mate look like Smee needs a raise. 
Uh, overall, this was a great episode. The bureaucracy in the galaxy is too much for the New Republic. Why can Kane just walk in offices and add her two cents? Who took Gideon? Uh, other people have access to Beskar. Cough, cough, Thrawn. Ooh, that's good. Will Bo-Katan bring balance to the Mandalorians? Spider-Ham Lincoln says, well, she is the chosen one. <laughs> um, Pete, amidst all that wisdom there, I'd like to say the the fact that they went in 110% for the pirates being piratey, I really appreciated, including the Mandalorian title card. You know that pirate hand organ thing? I don't yes. know what it's called. Yes. Not exactly an accordion, but even smaller than that. Like it was just go for a space, go for pirate space pirates. It was beautiful. Yeah, uh, and to the first mate there, played by Misty Rosas. That of course the five foot nine inch actress who's also played Queel in season one and was our frog lady. So continuing to bring this diminutive yet talented performer back for these, you know, unrecognizable, if not for the height roles. JT Atkins, JTA's me says the armorer is wise, caring about all the unity, caring about the unity of all Mandalorians while also seeing to it that we can see Katie Sackhoff's face for the rest of the season, which I think Pete is an excellent point there. Like story reason to not keep her covered. Story reason to keep Din Djarin covered? Yes, The Last of Us. Anyhow, uh, JT says, wise indeed. Now, does anyone know why Bo's headband has little red lights on the side? And Steve Thurbridge replies and says, it's got built-in Bluetooth. <laughs> um, I don't disagree. It's always in the animation had that they went a step further when uh, Ahsoka was working with uh, Bo-Katan, she too had a Bluetooth headband. So there you go. Last tweet here from the wise as ever, Bob Keeley at R. Keeley, who says, I love this season more with each episode. They're weaving a big story and I'm totally here for it. To the email inbox we go, Pete, from Steve Adams. Uh, Steve says, Zeb. Zeb looked amazing. If he's here, can the rest of the crew of the ghost be far behind? I hope not. One area where Star Wars far exceeds Star Trek is their depictions of ship-to-ship battles. The way the fighters engage each other around the capital ships is very reminiscent of naval battles in World War II, where larger ships needed fighter support to defend against enemy fighters. If the air patrol leaves the capital ship, the result is usually a sunken ship, much like we saw here. It's just a nice little touch I really enjoy. I love seeing the armorer in combat. She was an absolute force. I was almost expecting her to remove her helmet in front of Bo-Katan, revealing herself to be Duchess Satine, somehow still alive. I guess, Pete, there's no reason why that... I mean, that, that's, that's an interesting thought. There's no reason why that couldn't be down the line, right? I don't think it's going to play out that way. As, as much as we might, you know, wish that this is Bo-Katan's story, her sister is gone. Regardless, Steve says, no shock at all to see Gideon has escaped, but who sprung him? Is there a rogue Mandalorian we don't know about? All in all, yet another great episode. Until next time, stay fantastic. Pete, that's from Steve. Thank you, Steve. Pete, now we go to uh, the voice of Jackie Wolf, who reached out to our listener line, 732-707-1815, and we'll hear her words now. Hi, Matt and Pete. This is Jackie Wolf calling. I'm just leaving some feedback for The Mandalorian, Chapter 5. 
Um, overall, I'm really liking this series and the season. I'm really glad they're finding a place for Bo-Katan. I love Katie Sackhoff. I loved her in um, Battlestar Galactica. I love her in this. Loved her in Star Wars Rebels, the animated series. Um, I really like the design of the Romulan Warbird. Oh, I'm so sorry. Wrong series. The Corsair ship. Um, I wasn't so fond of the Pizza the Hut character. Oh, I'm so sorry. I was thinking of Spaceballs. Uh, the Gorian Shard puppet kind of looking character. I really did think it was a puppet when um, he came through on like the subspace communication channel. Maybe it was, I don't know, but I just, I didn't think that the costuming was, was very well done. Um, other than that, I did, I know that because story reasons, but there was no reason for Din to bring Grogu along on this battle with the space pirates. No other Mandalorian kids were there. I assumed that they were left in the care of, like, some Mandalorian nanny or something, right? Like, of course, story reasons. We have to get enough face time with Grogu and enough, you know, time for him to babble and all that. But really, I mean, no reason to bring him on this dangerous mission. Um, the last thing I wanted to say is um, I was just so surprised to learn that John Favreau voiced Paz Fisla, Um like I said, I watched the Star Wars Rebels uh, series, and I know that he played, he voiced a character there, and this is no shade to him at all, but I just always kind of felt like with that character, it sounded like John Favreau just, like, sat next to him on a microphone and spoke into it, and with this character, I had no clue it was him, so I don't know how he finds the time to, you know, reshape Star Wars in this wonderful direction that it's going, and voice a character like this that shows just amazing growth in his voice acting abilities, but good on him. And so, yeah, that's pretty much it. And thanks for all, all you guys do as usual. And I hope you guys have a great week. So Pete, big thanks to Jackie for not only reaching out, but it was a really, her, her reflecting on the idea of Favreau voicing Paz Vizsla was what sparked off my search this morning to find out that it, it was true for seasons one and two, not this season, what can we infer, and so forth. Um, but, uh, you know, Jackie just adding to the great, the great Fantastic Geek Collective. Yeah, thank you for the call there. Love the Pizza the Hut reference. <laughs> I think, you know, there is a place for goofiness in star wars and you know we're making space ball jokes here but you know why can't you have a mossy you know pirate captain that you know appears in parts of two episodes and gets burned up when his ship crashes uh and other pirates get away it it completely makes sense and it only further builds this universe i think too part of the part of the rediscovery in the last five years or so the rediscovery for star wars saying wait star wars looks analog we need to keep that in mind i would agree we've seen better computer generated characters i mean davy jones at this point is what 12 13 15 years old whatever it might be not a star wars character but you know computer generated um to have a guy that looks like he's in the same universe as you know um jabba the hut looks like rubber with little guys inside him i think there's a certain aesthetic there whether it fully lands for everybody is a completely separate matter pete let's now move to grand admiral fred from the netherlands 
Hello Matt and Pete and all listeners to Fantastic Geek. This is Fred from the Netherlands with a little feedback for The Mandalorian Season 3, Episode 5. Coming back to last week's podcast first. I asked the question, how do Mandalorian celebrate Thanksgiving? Helmet on or helmet off? And Pete was amazed about that I refer to Thanksgiving. And if that's a thing in the Netherlands. No, that's not a thing in the Netherlands at all. It's just because talking to you guys and all other podcasters that Thanksgiving is something that is in my frame of reference. Okay, about this episode, I really loved that they brought Captain Carson Teva back. His first appearance was in chapter 10, so that's 10 chapters ago. Really like it that they bring such characters back. And it's not a one-time appearance. And actually here he has a more important role than back then. This is probably a expensive episode with all these space battles. Or I should say air battles actually. I really liked CGI here and that for television. But we see that more and more these days. Especially in the multi-million series productions. It was a little crazy in this episode that Bogotan was allowed to take off her helmet. Because she lives in two worlds. Well... That does Dinjaran also. So, little inconsistent. And fortunately they put in a lot of doubt in the procedure. In the sense of that she really doubted to take her helmet off when the armorer said it. I think the creed is very strict. But she is a kind of high priestess that can change the rules obviously. A bit uh, contradictory. I really wonder if season perhaps 4 will be the regaining of Mandalore. Or that we even will see that in this season. Already looking forward to see more of Gideon. Giancarlo Esposito as actor back. This must be coming hopefully next episode. Okay that was all. Greetings. All the best. Fred from the Netherlands. Thank you, Fred. We do know that Giancarlo Esposito appears in this season. Nothing has been seen of that. I'd be down for the flashback of the jailbreak. Hmm. That could be fun. That could be really fun. That could be a heck of a heck of a you know, open like the a next rack. episode with that. Yeah. Pete, on the topic of Thanksgiving, I thought that Fred was going to say that they don't need Thanksgiving in the Netherlands because every day in the Netherlands is a day of Thanksgiving. Um, I, I was I was ready for it for him to for him to share his his Dutch pride. Instead, it just oh man, I guess Thanksgiving is you know though appreciated in this and other countries. I guess it's just a pop culture thing that we've transmitted to other countries. Uh, but Pete, would you like to commit to a Moff Gideon jailbreak flashback soon? Uh, no, I'll do no such thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, wise words, as always, from Fred, and thanks to him, and indeed thanks to all of the listeners who go to patreon.com slash fantasticgeek to keep us supported. Where we give thanks for you. Get yourself over to patreon.com slash fantasticgeek. Uh, just a dollar a month to get in that door. All sorts of levels to choose from. Uh, I can't contribute right now. Get over to 
uh, Apple Podcasts where you can leave us a rating or a review. Pete, let's certainly keep the Star Wars conversation going. What with these three episodes to go and potentially as we are podcasting next week, there will be breaking news out of celebration. Uh, how can people be in touch with you on social media? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-L-A-R, K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 12,824 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter, it's looking back lost. Do be in touch with the podcast. Comment on fantasticgeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek. All one word with the P and the H. Like it today. On the Pop Culture Podcast feed, we are back tomorrow to talk Star Trek Picard and that episode. Uh, if you're here just for The Mandalorian, back next Star Wars Saturday to keep that adventure continuing at least for these remaining three weeks. With that, Pete, I will say adios to all the listeners and give you the final word. In a puffer pig's eye.